falling, so peaceful. Um, definitely appropriate for this time of year uh, to see the, the peacefulness of the snow falling on the ground. And it doesn't look like the roads have gotten bad yet, so we thank the Lord for that. But um, there is something so beautiful about snow falling. Uh, a couple of announcements to share with you as we begin our service this morning. First of all, Northern Dauphin Christian School is collecting supplies for the homeless. And Dylan Bowman's Boy Scout troop is also collecting blankets uh, for Isaiah 61 Ministries. Both of those boxes are out in the uh, coat room in the foyer. Uh, as far as Northern Dauphin Christian, there is a little paragraph here in the bulletin. For the Boy Scout troop, they are looking for blankets, either new or lightly used. And they are going to Isaiah 61 Ministries, I believe, for the homeless as well, correct? Um, so if you have an opportunity to, to, to give to one of those or both of those, uh, that would be wonderful. Again, both boxes are out in the coat room in the uh, fellowship hall. Uh, Amanda Lebo is going to come up and make an announcement. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I won't touch that. So... I wanted to make the announcement that the cookbooks are officially here at the church for you to pick up. Um, they're out in the fellowship hall, and they'll be, we'll be handing them out after the service today. Um, the white church is where you can place your donated amount. Um, we do have a suggested donation of anything between 10 and 15, but like I said, that's a suggestion. Um, and let me, that'll be out at least this week and next week. Will we have it longer? Maybe. I don't know. I guess it depends how quickly they go. Um, and I wanted to, oh, we have extras. So if you didn't sign up, don't worry about not getting one because you will definitely have them. And if you suddenly signed up for one and you want more, we'll have enough. So um, that's no problem. And I just wanted to say, oh, cash and check. And if you make it check, Word of Life Chapel, I'm assuming, is how we can... You're not, not if. Uh, technically, they're, oh. they're receiving something of value, so it's not a donation, but still make the check out to Word of Life Chapel. Or do you prefer cash? No, cash. it doesn't matter. Okay, then sorry. No yes. Put cookbook, whatever, but no, it's not a donation. I mean, it's okay. not a charitable contribution. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, one, one last neat thing I think is cool about the cookbooks is for those of you who are technology, technological savvy, um, you can, once you get one, you can download a digital copy on your phone. So if you're like me who goes to the grocery store and forgets to bring my list, you can pull it up if you have, that's a recipe you're going to be using and say, oh, this is what I need. <laughs> and so you don't go back to the grocery store five minutes from getting home because um, that's not fun. So anyway, thank you, and enjoy your cookbooks. A couple of other announcements. Next Sunday, December 18th, and uh, Sunday, December 25th, there is no Sunday school. The services will start at 9.30. There's more information about that in your bulletins, as well as on December 24th, Christmas Eve, we'll be having our uh, Christmas Eve service here at the chapel at 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock. Um, the poinsettias will be displayed on December 18th and 25th. Uh, if you donated one, you can take them home then on Christmas Day. And the Christmas, kids' Christmas practice will be Saturday, December 17th from 10 
to 11 a.m. We also would like to extend our sympathies to Don Zimmerman and family upon the homegoing of his father, Ralph, and we're praying for you guys. We are. Uh, let's open our service with a word of prayer this morning. Lord, as, as the snow falls outside, uh, we are reminded of, of this season of, of Christmas and the peace um, that was brought through your son, Jesus Christ. We're reminded of the love that is greater than anything we can ever completely understand. Father, we ask that this morning, as we gather together as a family, that, Lord, you speak truth into our hearts, into our minds. Father, help us as a family to lift your name on high and to glorify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I ask that everything that is said and done this morning brings honor and glory to your name, the name that is above all names. In the name of your precious Son, Jesus, amen.
leave thy throne. <coughs> Thou didst leave thy throne for the kingly crown when thou comest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home there's found no room for thy holy Ralph uh, Zimmerman was mentioned as going home to be with the Lord. I have a card from uh, Don and Janelle and family. Uh, dear Pastor Bob and Chapel family, thank you so much for your visits, your thoughts, your prayers over the last two years while Dad was in the Kepler home. We especially appreciate your prayers and visits over the past week and a half prior to Dad's home going to be with his, uh, be with his Lord and Savior. So continue to pray for uh, Don and Carla and family members uh, because of the home going of, um, of Ralph. Keep also in prayer, as I mentioned here, Dorothea Lebo. Um, she's planning to have some surgery coming up on the 13th, knee surgery. Uh, pray, continue to pray for Dave Rode as he has just been through uh, hip surgery, as well as Jim Snyder on the 20th. Uh, Jim's going to be having some surgery, and Tim Wilbert is going to have surgery uh, on the 12th, which is on Wednesday-ish. 
Tomorrow, tomorrow, today is the 11th. Here it says right here, December the 11th, 2016, right under prayer ministry. Oh, time just flies, is it not? Time just flies. So keep Tim in your prayers as well for uh, that surgery coming up uh, tomorrow. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you so much uh, for bringing us to this time of the year once again. Father, the Bible says that you are in control of the seasons, that, Father, uh, seasons have an order, and you have planned that order. And so we now find ourselves in uh, these coming months of winter. Uh, we are thankful, Lord, that you are a God who is in control of all things. Father, you have made this creation. You have placed the sun and the stars in their places. You have made all of the animal life and bird life and fish life. And Father, you have made us. Uh, we, are, we have been made in your very image. And being made in your image, Lord, we have great responsibilities uh, as the people of God. I pray that you would help us to walk in your steps Help us, Lord, to listen to your voice. Help us, Lord, to obey your commands. We truly are the capstone of your creation. And you have created us to be in a relationship with you. Father, you have sent your son, Jesus, to be born a babe in a manger, to live a perfect life and go to the cross to die, so that we might have a relationship with you. For Jesus said, I am the way and the life and the truth. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so, Father, for us to have a relationship with you, it must come through Jesus. We thank you for this time of year when we celebrate his birth, when we celebrate that moment in time that moment in history when God became flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, Father, we do lift up to you the Zimmerman family. We ask, Lord, for your comfort to rest on them. We think of others, Lord, that have lost loved ones just this year. And we understand how hard it is to enter in to the, uh, this, this Christmas season without that loved one. We pray for those, Lord, who are struggling this time of year to find peace, to be encouraged. But we ask, Lord, that you might grant them that. We think of these who are anticipating surgeries, Dorothea, Jim, and Tim. We pray that all goes very well. We ask, Lord, that you might guide the doctors and surgeons and may all go extremely the way it's to be planned. Think of Dave, Father, struggling with uh, bouncing back. We pray for him, pray for Sandy, and these, Lord, who have had surgeries. Gene, although, Lord, it's good to have Gene back in the choir, but we pray for these who have gone through surgeries and, Father, are in therapy or 
uh, still are not where they want to be. Lord, heal. Bring complete healing to their bodies. And once again, Father, we thank you. And we are so grateful for the blessings which you have showered down upon us. The hymn writer says we ought to count our many blessings and we would be surprised at all the great and wonderful things that God has done for us. You are a great God and a good God. And we thank you that you have promised to be with us today. Help us to sense your presence. May the Spirit of God move in our hearts. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts. Help us to receive those things which you would have for us. And again, we thank you for the great salvation which is ours through Christ alone. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. you stand as we continue to sing to the Lord this morning. Go tell it on the mountain 
The wonderful sound of joyful fellowship. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I struggle with joy at this moment because that white stuff that's outside does nothing to bring joy into my heart. Um, <laughs> but I can refocus, get that out of my mind. That isn't there right now because right now we, we're focusing on the, the coming of our Lord and uh, uh, him coming into this world to be born as a babe. So, um, The children are dismissed at the end of this song. Junior Church uh, will be going downstairs to meet with Sarah. Uh, those that aren't in that, that are with the, the Christmas song that we're doing with me, will be going out there, and then those kids that are in the song will join us a little later once you're finished down there. So uh, when the song is over, Pastor Bob will be coming for the message, but I'll be heading out, and the Junior Church uh, kids can all come and walk out on Pastor Bob right along with me. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a, a, an early season Christmas song, um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel.
Thank you, Dean. Kids, you can take off. 
And as they do, let me remind you that if you listen very, very closely, you can hear the sounds of Christmas in the Old Testament. We listened last week, and we listened to the sounds of Christmas in Genesis 3 and verse 15. Adam and Eve sinned. They ate from that forbidden tree. They went and hid themselves behind a tree, covered themselves with fig leaves. But God came to them, took the initiative, and said, where are you? A rhetorical question, for God, of course, knew where they were. But God came to bring reconciliation. And God came to bring a new relationship. The relationship that they had lost in eating from that tree. And in the sentence to Satan, God spoke of a Redeemer. God spoke of a Savior that would come on the scene to save people from their sins. We return this morning to the Old Testament. We don't go all the way back to the beginning, but we stop at the book of Micah. Now let me invite you to start turning there, because it takes some time to find the book of Micah. If you can find Matthew, start turning toward the beginning of your Bibles, not too far, and you'll eventually land on the book of Micah. In Micah, we hear once again the sounds of Christmas. Micah will help us understand a few things about our Savior, where he's going to be born, a promise that is going to be given, and also the great prophecy of a profound, profound person named Jesus Christ. A minor prophet is only called that because of the length of the book. Uh, it's not because he was less important than the others. But there are books in the Bible like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel that have a lot of chapters. They're long books. These are major prophets. Micah is a minor prophet because there's only seven chapters. You... If you took my advice and you started in the book of Matthew and started to work your way backwards, and if that's how you found that book, you turned from Matthew to Micah through 700 years. You didn't turn that many pages, but you turned through 700 years because Micah was written about 700 years B.C., before Christ was born. Micah's message is a message of doom, but also a message of hope. It's a message of judgment, but also a message of deliverance. Prophets often did that. They would warn of pending judgment, but then say, but God will eventually deliver. They would come and speak of destruction but then, but God is going to bring hope and deliverance. 
We're at a time in the history of Israel, and those who have been going to Sunday school in the fellowship hall will understand this, as I hope you will as well. Israel at this point is a divided kingdom. Israel has been divided because of Solomon's sin. There's a northern kingdom and there's a southern kingdom. This nation, this great covenant nation of Israel has now divided. And Micah comes on the scene and predicts that this northern kingdom is going to be destroyed by the Assyrians. And the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, now hang in there. I know at this point your eyes are getting heavy. <laughs> hang in there. The southern kingdom of Judah, Micah prophesizes that if you don't straighten out, if you don't repent of your sins, then you are going to be destroyed as well as the northern kingdom is going to be destroyed. Now, having said all of that, if, you've, how, if you're in Micah, turn to chapter 5. Turn to chapter 5 of Micah. Micah begins in chapter 5 this way in, in, in verse 1. Marshal your troops, now city of troops, for siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Now, according to Charles Feinberg, a leading authority on Jewish history, he says that what is being said here is that this siege is going to be the siege in which Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians are going to sweep into Jerusalem. The Jerusalem is the city that's spoken of. And Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians are going to sweep into Jerusalem and destroy the temple and destroy the city and carry people away captive down into Babylon. That's what's being said in verse 1. And it speaks of, a, 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 of the shameful treatment of the, the, the ruler of Israel who at this time is the man by the name of Zedekiah. He was the last king over the southern kingdom, King Zedekiah. And he is going to be treated shamefully because what is spoken of at the end of verse 1 is this insult to any king to be struck on the cheek with a rod. And we know from history that this prophecy will be fulfilled. We know that Jerusalem will be taken over by the Babylonians and that Zedekiah the king is going to be struck and shamefully treated by those armies in Babylon. But prophets oftentimes will jump and launch from the present into the future very, very quickly. And what Micah does here is he speaks about the present time in verse 1 and then he launches. He launches way, way out into the future. 700 years we fast forward 
and we come to verse 2. And this is what Micah says. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. I want to focus now on verse 2. And I want to look at three truths about the coming Messiah. About the coming Messiah. First of all, Micah speaks of a predetermined place. That there is a place where this ruler of Israel is to be born. It speaks of Bethlehem. Now, it's interesting also, you know, verse 2 begins, but you... But you, Bethlehem, in contrast to this dire situation that is going to take place in Jerusalem in verse 1, but you, in Bethlehem, there is coming a new ruler, a new king, a king of Israel. But you, in contrast to this dire situation in verse 1, but you, out of you will come a victorious king who will be born in Bethlehem. In spite of what has happened to Zedekiah, another king is coming. This is what happened in the present, but we're looking down now 700 years to the coming of Messiah. And the Bible says right here that Messiah will be born in a predetermined place, a village called Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. It refers to the fertility of the region. It's a small place. A place that if you were to look on a map of Israel, not today, because Bethlehem is clearly on most maps of Israel today because of the birth of Jesus. But if you had a map of Israel in Micah's day, you wouldn't find Bethlehem. You would find all the major cities, but you wouldn't find Bethlehem. It's too small. When you look at a state map of Pennsylvania, it's pretty hard to find Halifax. <laughs> it's not there. You see Philadelphia and you see Pittsburgh and you see some of the major cities, but it's pretty hard to find Halifax. It's too small to be included on a map. Bethlehem is that kind of village. It's too small to be placed on a map. And it's distinguished, this Bethlehem, from there's another one during this time, but this is the one in Ephrathah. And the, core, uh, the little uh, song that we're going to sing as we close this morning, the carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, that was correct. This is just a tiny little place, a very, very unlikely place for a ruler of Israel to be born. And yet Micah says, that the ruler, the king, the child who's going to be born in a manger is going to be born in a place called Bethlehem. A predetermined place. I also see a promised plan in verse 2. If you look right in the middle of verse 2, it says, Out of you will come for me. Do you see the two little words, for me? It includes the idea of of me. 
of me. In other words, the meaning is, is that this ruler is going to come from God himself. Now we have a story back in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 22. And you probably know the story. Uh, God chooses Abraham to become the father of Israel. But God decides to test him. And he tests him and says to Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac to Mount Moriah. And there I want you to place him on the altar as a sacrifice. Now men, can you imagine being asked by God to lay your son on the altar as a sacrifice? But Abraham, being obedient to God, gets up in the morning, saddles his donkey, takes some of the servants along with his young son Isaac, and off they go to Mount Moriah. Before they get to the mount, Abraham leaves the servants behind and takes just his son. They arrive there on that mountain, and they they make the altar, they, they have the fire, they have the wood, and Isaac stands back, this little boy, and says, but dad, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? And what does Abraham say? God himself will provide a lamb. This lamb will come from God. What we have in the middle of verse 2 is this, this ruler is going to be provided by God himself. God is going to provide a ruler. And in this we have the great the great mystery of the incarnation that God himself will become flesh, that out of God will come this Messiah, that from God will come the King of Israel, that God will provide. And we know that this one coming is going to come to do the will of his Father. J. Vernon McGee, He says this, he says, this one who's coming is coming to do the will of the Father, to accomplish his plan. And Charles Feinberg, this historian that I just quoted, he said this, he came to carry out the very purposes of God. This one who comes from God is in fact God in flesh. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A distinction between the Son and the Father. We know the Word was Jesus Himself, because later in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says that the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. The Word was with the Father. There's a distinction, but then it goes on to say, but the word was God, equality. So we have this one who's going to come from God, the Son, who's distinct from the Father, and yet equal to the Father. We believe in the Trinity. We believe that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons of the Godhead, but one God. The Bible says there is only one God. But the Godhead is made up 
of three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What we read here in Micah, 700 years prior to Emmanuel, prior to when God became flesh, he's saying that out of me will come this king. Out of me will come Messiah, the ruler of Israel. John looked, and John said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who is going to take away the sins of the world. Jesus came to give his life a sacrifice for sin. God's plan in this coming Messiah was to bring salvation and forgiveness. All the way back in the garden, there was sin. And God provides a way today for mankind to be forgiven from that sin. You see, through Adam came all mankind. And because of Adam's sin, the Bible says we have all sinned. And we've fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus came. Why? To do the Father's will. What is that? To seek and to save the lost. God sought Adam and Eve in the garden. They were hiding. The Bible says there's no one righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands and there's no one who seeks after God. But God sought us. Why did Jesus come? To seek mankind. To seek and save the lost. God wants relationships. God desires relationships. God loves mankind. That's why he sent Jesus. For God, he he so loved the world that he sent Jesus into this world so that those who believe in him might have eternal life. The relationships that we have now with our Father in heaven is through Jesus and Jesus alone. For Jesus said, I am the way. I'm not just a way of many ways. Jesus himself said, I am the way. And if you want a relationship with God the Father, it always comes through Christ. Call upon his name, the Bible says, and thou shalt be saved. But we also see a profound person. Look at the end of verse 2. Whose origins are from old. Whose origins are from old. This phrase is used elsewhere to describe the, the eternality of God. It describes that God is an eternal God. That this ruler that is coming from God who is going to rule over Israel, is an eternal one. We read in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 12, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God? This is the same phrase that is used right here at the end of verse 2. Whose origins are from old. His origins are from old. Yes, it's true. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. But he did not have his beginnings there. Jesus will be born in Bethlehem, but he did not have his beginnings there. 
The NIV Study Bible says this, his beginnings were much earlier than his human birth. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but that was the moment in history when God became flesh. Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, is eternal. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, and the ending. Jesus is eternal. He is the eternal God. Yes, there was a moment in history when he was born. As you, you go to the doctor, and what does the doctor say? What is your birthday? Oh, if I heard that once, I've heard that a million times. You know, it's just automatic. 7, 10, 50, 7, 10, 50, 7, 10, 50. Okay, now you know my age if you can do all that math. 7, 10, 50. Jesus had a birthday. There was a day, a moment in history when he was born. He had a birthday. At least as man. But Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, is eternal. And that's what's spoken of here. Imagine Micah. Can you imagine Micah being able to predict and prophesy these things 700 years prior to Jesus' birth? Do you understand how remarkable that is? So let's fast forward. Let's fast forward now 700 years and let's move over into the Gospels. Move over into the Gospels. Turn over, if you will, to the book of Luke. The book of Luke. When we come to the Gospels, now, this is where things are going to gel, okay? Hang in there for just a few more moments. This is where things become pretty remarkable. Fast forward in time 700 years. When we come to the Gospels, we come to another little village, it's the little village of Nazareth. It's the little village of Nazareth. And in Nazareth, we find that... I turned too quickly. Okay. In Nazareth, we find another little village called... Or in Israel, we find another village called Nazareth. Now, I want to show you a map. And I know it's going to be awfully hard to see from way, way back there. But squint a little bit. I have to squint sometimes. It makes things clear. Uh-oh, there we go. Uh, whoa. Amazing what you can do. Up here. Whoop, go up, Pete. Or bring that down. There, stop. Good. Good, good. You see Nazareth right here? Here's Nazareth. It's a place up in Galilee, right near the uh, Sea of Galilee. Here's Nazareth. In Nazareth, in the book of Luke, we have a man by the name of Joseph, and we have his wife, his, her name is Mary. Mary at this time is pregnant, right? Well, it is true. Um, here's Nazareth, but way down here is Bethlehem, 80, 80 miles away, which is about the distance from here to Williamsport. Now, what we have to do, well, not what we have to do, <laughs> what God has to do 
in order to get Mary being pregnant in Nazareth down here to Bethlehem, God has to find a way that she delivers in Bethlehem because Micah said that's the way it has to be. Micah said 700 years prior to Mary's pregnancy, this child, this king of Israel, is going to be born down here in Bethlehem. So now they have to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem in order for this prophecy to be fulfilled. So how does God do that? Look at Luke chapter 2. Look at Luke chapter 2. God is amazing how he orchestrates things. Just, now, just listen to this. Look at Luke chapter 2. In those days, in the days of Joseph and Mary, remember Joseph was going to put Mary away privately, and we know that whole story. The angel comes and says, don't be afraid, take Mary as your wife, and he does. Mary is pregnant, not with him, uh, but, he, but she conceives of the Holy Spirit as no parts of, of the seed of man. In those days, in those days, Caesar Augustus, this, this pagan Roman emperor, he issues a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone, everyone, they had to go to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth of Galilee to where? To Judea of Bethlehem, in Bethlehem, the town of David. Why? Because he belonged to the house and line of David. Do you understand how amazing this is? That God now has to get Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem at the exact time when she's ready to deliver her child. Because Micah, 700 years prior to this, said that the ruler of Israel, the Messiah, is going to be born in Bethlehem. So Joseph says to his wife, dear, <laughs> I, could do, I could do this alone. It would be much easier for me to go from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. I could do this alone, but I don't want to leave you alone. I mean, you're, you, could, you could deliver any moment now. And so they decide to go together. And they make this trip, not by car. We can get there in an hour and a half, right? They go by donkey or they walk. Uh, we're not exactly. They start out. They get to Bethlehem. Why did they go to Bethlehem? Well, Joseph, his ancestry, his family, was from Bethlehem. And they now have to go to be counted for this census. Isn't it amazing how God is orchestrating this? That God is orchestrating this in a way in, to get Mary at the right place at exactly the right time. And then we have the story of the wise men. Let me just briefly uh, fast forward again, maybe a few months. We're not exactly sure when the wise men came on the scene. Um, maybe a few months later, up to maybe possibly a year. Um, but the wise men come. These, there's this group of men called Magi. And they come from the east, probably Assyria. Remember the Assyrians are the ones who overthrew the northern kingdom? 
Uh, they're not coming as soldiers this time, though. They're coming as truth seekers. And they follow the star. And they follow the star that stops over Jerusalem. And the wise men come to Jerusalem and they still need further direction. Because they, they're speaking now of, where is the king of the Jews? Where is this king of the Jews? Herod is now the king of the Jews. Herod hears from the wise men, there's another king of the Jews. And he now feels threatened. He doesn't want any competition. He is the king of the Jews. And you say there's another king of the Jews? Where is he? So he calls his wise men. He, he calls the chief priests and, and the teachers of the law. And he surrounds himself with these, these men who know the Old Testament scriptures. These men who know the law. He says, where was this? Where is the king of the G Jews to be born? And the wise men, listen, without flinching, they said, Bethlehem. They knew. They knew exactly where he was to be born. Why? Because in Matthew's gospel, they told the king, we know because we know the book of Micah. We know that Micah already said that this king would be born in Bethlehem. When Herod asked them, they didn't have to discuss it. Well, where do you think he's going to be born? No, they didn't have to consult their, their documents. Without flinching, we know he'll be born in Bethlehem. And then they actually even quote Micah 5, 2. I, I don't know about you, but when, when I read these kinds of prophecies, and then begin to dig in to how God is able to bring these things about. It makes me appreciate the fact that God is a sovereign, sovereign God. That when God makes a promise, when we read of a prophecy, it will come about. Do you remember last week I, I mentioned uh, the case of Christ with Lee Strobel? He gave the odds of just eight of these prophecies in the Old Testament coming true. And yet we have about 300 of these, 300 of these predictions, prophecies, hundreds and hundreds of years prior to Jesus coming on the scene. Prophecies about Jesus the Messiah, and each one being fulfilled exactly and precisely as it was written so many years before. How can we not say this is truly the Word of God? This is God's Word. How can someone deny these prophecies and the Scriptures having come from God? I'm always amazed and I just stand in awe. You know, we were studying this morning in Sunday school. Uh, the King Solomon, uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he comes to the end. And he said, here's the conclusion of the matter. Here, here, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is this. 
fear God and keep his commandments. You know what we need as people today, as the children of God's, we need a deep, deep fear and reverence of Almighty God. And as I was reading the fulfillment of this prophecy, I said, you know what? This is my God. This is your God. This is the God we love and serve. A God who has everything, everything under control. Father, we are thankful this morning once again for your word. Powerful word. Powerful. And we thank you, Father, for revealing yourself. We are thankful this morning for the great salvation found in Jesus. But Father, we are also thankful that you are a sovereign, holy, awesome God. Father, we need to know that. We need to understand that. And so help us, as Solomon concluded, help us, give us that healthy, healthy fear and reverence of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close by singing that uh, song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, How Still We See Thee Lie. Hymn number 121. Hymn number 121. Let's stand together, please, and we'll sing all four stanzas and be dismissed. Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, angels keep their watch of wandering love. Oh, morning stars together claim the King and peace on man on earth. How silently so God him the blessing. No ear may coming in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him still the dear Christ oh holy child 
Bethlehem, send to us, we pray. Stout our sin and enter in, born in us today. Hear the Christmas angels, great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us. Father, we thank you for the way you have brought all things together. And especially thank you for your love for mankind, a love that was willing to send your only begotten Son into this world to die so that we might be forgiven of our sins. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And Father, if there's one here this morning who has never put their faith, their trust in you, I pray that your spirit might work in their hearts and draw them to yourself. We are thankful, Lord, for the wonderful free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you. 
Listen to 